0: won't go through uh, just the, the normal structure of everything that we do every week, but that we will be a people of faith actually. And so I, this is what I felt because our prayers actually are a reflection of how we see God. And that's really convicting to me because many times I, I believe in a strong God, but I also believe that I can pray more. I believe in a God that can do anything but I also believe that my prayers don't always reflect that. And, and part of this message is to say, I think when I look at my prayers, and I think if I look at our prayers, it's not reflecting an accurate understanding of how big and how powerful and how mighty our God actually is. And I'm hoping that as we see more of God, that what will happen is our prayer lives will change and that we'll actually start praying dangerous prayers. Those prayers that like, if I pray it, I'm scared that God might just listen. You know those prayers. It's like, you know, some people say, "Never say to God, Lord, I won't go to Boxburg because then He'll send you." It's one of those prayers, okay? Like, it's, we have to be the people that actually pray those prayers, that are bold enough. Sorry for the, I'm from Boxburg, that's why I can make that joke. <laughs> but that we that we pray bold enough prayers because that I, what I'd love for this group, this four pm group, is that when people look at us, that we don't look like normal people. We're not supposed to be normal people. We're supposed to be a people of faith, a people that say, my God can do the impossible in and through me, and our prayers need to reflect that. And when we pray, I believe that we serve a God that actually listens to our prayers, and I think He's going to answer some of these prayers. So there's about five messages that I have on my heart. Whether we'll get through all of them and God does something else, I'm not sure. But if, if we get through them, I, I'm going to tell you just what I've thought to, to speak on. So today I want to speak on the prayer, use me, God. That's a dangerous prayer because just now God really starts using you. And that's not going to be comfortable. Uh, Then I I want to speak about a prayer that David prayed uh, where he said, search me, God. Search me. Come into my heart. Look at me. Show, Show me if there's any wicked way within me. That's a scary prayer because there are wicked ways within us. If God shows us that we have a responsibility to do something about it, I want to speak about, this is a bit of a curveball, but it's something I felt for us seeing as there are many relationships and a few married people, and look, the rest of the single people want to be in relationships, so it does make sense. I want to speak, I want to share about uh, this prayer, give me a godly marriage, Lord. And I think it's really applicable to us. I'm, I'm actually quite excited about preaching, uh, preaching into that. I want to speak about, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Jesus' famous prayer before he went to the cross doing something that he did not want to do, but God wanted him to do that. And that's what he prayed, Lord, but it's not my will in the end, it's your will. I think that's a dangerous prayer to pray. I mean, Jesus was the example for us. And then finally, if we get there, I'd, I'd like to speak about send me God, which is also dangerous um, because we're in the promised land. Eh? Some people want to go and maybe your sending is God says, okay, I'm starting by sending you here. And uh, that's part of that prayer. So I want you to open up your hearts and just actually as we go into this time to say to the Lord, Lord, come and and rock my faith. Come and make me a a dangerous Christian and not a safe Christian. Come and let me pray prayers that will really actually change my life and I'm not just going through the motions anymore. Amen? Okay. I'm hoping you guys want that. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't preach it, but that's what I'm feeling for us. So specifically today, I'm going to preach a prayer that I actually preached at 6 p.m. last week, because as I started preparing, I realized that it was basically the same thing, but I actually feel like it is applicable for us, and felt like there was a lot of life on the message last week. It is about God sending us, and just as we get into this, what I'm going to do is I want to look at the story of Moses, because Moses was really someone used by God mightily, those of you who know the story of Moses and the book of Exodus, which is a phenomenal book in the Bible, I want to encourage you, if you had not read it in a, in a while, go to the book of Exodus, read it, but read it in light of it being a prophetic message of the people of God and Jesus. Read it in that way, because that's what it was supposed to be. The Bible says in the New Testament that some of the Old Testament is like a shadow of what would come, and if you read the Old Testament as a prophetic message, meaning, I see Moses as a type of Jesus, I see Egypt as a type of the world... I see um, I see the, the the sea opening as a type of baptism. I see the wilderness as the struggles that we go through. I see the promised land of the things that God is calling us to in heaven. If if you see it prophetically, it is a profound book. It speaks it's a it's a Jesus book actually. Although it was written way before Jesus. It's such a beautiful prophetic book. And and when we get to Moses, there's there's a picture in there for how God wants to take us to be a people used by Him. And I'm quickly going to sum it up for you, and then I'm going to preach through it. So I want you to say this after me. Firstly, God takes us through steps. If we pray this prayer, this is what God is going to do in your life. I promise you. So at the end, I'm going to ask you if you want to pray this prayer. This is the disclaimer, okay? I think it's God's disclaimer. This is the disclaimer. God is going to take you through three steps, and they're not always pleasant. So I want you to say this with me. I can. I, can. I can't. <clears throat> God can. God can just one more time, I can, I, can. I can't, I can't. God, can. God can. It's going to take you through these steps. Now I want to show you in Moses's life, how God did that, how he took him from I can to a place of realizing that he can't, to a place of realizing that God can. And when he reached that pinnacle and he, and he, he had to end up to say, okay, now God used me, but in your power, he was used to lead millions of Israelites from the world out of captivity into the promised land. And I think that's what all of us have been called for. Okay, so I'm going to start, I'm going to go through a couple of passages in the life of Moses. And the first thing we need to know before we get to the I can, I can't, God can, is we need to actually ask ourselves, why does God want to use us? And many of us have this mentality that God uses some, but he doesn't use me. Or he uses many in a big way, but me uses in a small way. And I think God wants to come into this group and say, stop it, stop thinking that. I think there's many of us here sitting, limiting ourselves, limiting the way that God can use us, becoming passive in our faith, and and not walking in the way that God wants us. God wants us to have big faith, to say, God, my hand is up, use me. He does want that, actually. So before we get there, I want to just show you the problem, because if you see the problem in the world, if you see why God wants people to build his kingdom, then I think you'll come to a place of saying, okay, I see the problem, Lord, help me to be the solution. But you first need to see the problem. And again, this is a prophetic message. So the first scripture I'm going to use uh, read is, uh, again, I'm going to read through the, the first part of Exodus one, uh, of Exodus. Exodus 1 verse eight. Now just to give you a little bit of context before we read this, in the beginning before Exodus, there was a guy, a guy called Joseph. And Joseph was basically the guy that established the Israelites or the Hebrew people or the people of God within Egypt. He was, he was chucked away by his brothers, basically sold into slavery, but God had a plan for his life. God raised him up, and out of him and out of his children and his family came millions of Israelites who stayed in Egypt. If we count the men, I think it says about four or six hundred thousand, so if we count the women and children, definitely more than a million people that came out of Joseph, and it was a move of God. The people of God had favor on them. There was something that God did, but we start here in Exodus 1 verse 8, and that is why God wanted to use Moses. Exodus 1 verse 8 says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So although God did something in the past, what happens in the world, because the devil is the God of this world, you know that, Jesus is not the God of this world. The devil is actually in charge of this world. To a large extent, under the power of God, yes, but the devil is the one ruling and railing on this earth. Jesus will reign when he comes back. But the devil is ruling and reigning now, and all the devil wants to do is when there's a move of God, he wants to come and bring in the law of atrophy, meaning that things will move backwards. And so it would have been so nice for us as Christians if when there's a move of God, it stays that way, and, every, and it just keeps rolling and rolling like a snowball, and it gets bigger and bigger. But unfortunately, what happens is you will see that moves of God come, and then the, the, the attack of the enemy comes, and it starts moving back, and then God says, But I want people who will keep, who will take the kingdom by force, who will keep moving it forward, who won't stand for the onslaughts of the enemy, who will look at the moves that they were, but know, God, you want to bring a new move. They forgot about Joseph, but there was a Moses that God wanted to call. That's what God wants to put in us. And if I look at South Africa, you'll know that there have been massive moves of God in South Africa. I got saved into the Dutch Reformed Church, and I think they are still... uh, people who really love the Lord in Dutch Reformed churches, so please don't see this as a bash in any way, but you know the Dutch Reformed church inherently was, was formed out of a genuine spirit move of the Lord. There was a massive move of the Lord, lots of it through a guy called Andrew Murray, who was in Wellington and in Worcester. The Holy Spirit fell on those people, they saw, they saw the signs, wonders, gifts of the Holy Spirit operating, and Dutch Reformed churches, every town you'll go to in South Africa, there is probably a pep and a bottle store and a Dutch Reformed church. That's basically, it's infiltrated. Like they planted churches like this. Most towns have a couple of Dutch Reformed buildings that they put up in those towns. A lot of them are not as healthy as they were anymore. I would say, honestly, most of them. But that was a genuine move of God. But unfortunately, the devil will come against those things. And and if we don't stay on top of it, we don't keep fighting for those things. We don't put up our hand and say, God, keep using me. Then the law of atrophy will start working. And that thing will not be as it was. South Africa is in need of a new move of God, but he needs, God needs people to say, I want to be part of that. That's it. Stellenbosch. You know, Stellenbosch is in the healthy spiritual place that it is today. I think there's a lot more. But a lot of it was probably because one of the biggest churches here, there was a genuine move of God years ago in one of the churches here. I'm not going to mention names. And then Satan came into the church, I believe it, I think they, they're on an upward trajectory again, and, and God is doing beautiful things, and, and again, not bashing it. But Satan came in, there was a divorce of the lead couple, and a lot of turmoil, and later on, more issues that came out. And Satan wants to take ground, in Stellenbosch even, but God wants people to, in Stellenbosch, say, Lord, here I am, I'm putting up my hand, use me in Stellenbosch, to see a new move of God Yeah, I really do believe that, in your family, if, if, if your family is at a touch of God over the years, I'm telling you, Satan is not going to leave it that way. And if you don't put up your hands to say, God, continue working in me, then what's going to happen is you are going to take steps backwards. And the same thing even in your life. God wants to start using you in your own life, actually. It sounds weird, but, but we need to see the power of God firstly in our own lives. Don't think because you had one encounter with God years ago that that's going to be enough to sustain you. We need to be those that constantly put up our hands. So there arose a king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Here's the interesting thing. When we get to, I'm going to read you two more passages, and I, I want to show you just how the devil actually came in to Egypt, to the world, and how he bound the people of God, because the enemy has a strategy. He's not stupid. He's been around longer than all of us, and he has a strategy to actually bind the people of God from extending the kingdom. And I want to show you two things in the book of Exodus that we see he did. First thing, he made people, he made the people of God fixate on the wrong things. He made them passionate about things that were not God. He made them slaves to just the routine of this life, and that is the dangerous thing. Uh, it's Exodus one verse thirteen to fourteen. So they, the Egyptians, the world, ruth- ruthlessly made the people of Israel, the people of God, work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick. And in all kinds of work in the field, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. The first thing the devil is going to try and do, in you and the people around you, this is the problem, is it's going to make Christians around the world just fall into patterns of working for this world. Not be switched on for the kingdom. Be like Christians in name, but basically be slaves to this world, slaves to their jobs, slaves to their kids' routines. I need to go to sports. I need to do all of those things. But not be switched on that the kingdom of God is primary in my life. Secondly, and this is a really interesting thing, when Satan wants to come, girls, he definitely wants to come for you, but I see a biblical precedent that when he he wants to move back a move of God, he starts with the men, and he wants to feminize the men, he wants to actually say, men, there's nothing about you that has been made special, and I can't go, I can send you teachings. We believe that men and women were created equal but different. So it's not in any way bashing the woman. But I think there is something where God needs men firstly to stand up and say, I will be the leader of my household. I will lead with integrity. I will stand up and be a godly man. And if he can do that, if he can bring sin in, if he can bring, I'll say it because we've been dealing with it a lot, if he can bring pornography and lust into men, then men cannot stand up and be the leaders that God has called them to and destined them to be. In this church, this 4 p.m. group, what I'm trusting for is that men will start standing up more and more. And, and I'm not speaking out of judgments. I mean, I've been caught up in sin for long times of my life. But we need to be those people that take God seriously enough to say, Lord, I, I, I want to stand up and I want to be used by you. So I want to sort out these things. Let me read you that scripture. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. If he can kill the men, he kills the woman as well. If he feminizes us, if he, if he knocks out the man, he knocks out the family structure as God has destined it to be. And so you better know the devil is at work in this world. What is the agenda of this world? If you look around, if you open up social media, it's gender equality. In our, we are equal in our gender, but we're different. And gender equality then makes us that we're all the same. Like men cannot stand up. It's wrong nowadays for a man to stand up and be a leader. It's wrong. Yes, we need women leaders as well. Like I feel like I need to over-explain you. Because of what's going on in the world, this should be a simple truth. That God has called men and women differently. But what he's doing is, women, you guys are being given all the liberty to run and be whoever God wants you to be. But the men must just not come close. And the men are being feminized, actually. And I don't think that's a godly thing. And so the first thing we need to realize is there is a problem in this world. Satan has come into South Africa, Satan is coming into Stellenbosch, Satan is coming into families, and he wants to do those things, he wants to take us captive. And the question today is, if you are willing to put up your hand and say, God, use me, then God wants to use you to be a solution to those problems, actually. And so let's look at, um, at the, the, the life of Moses further. So firstly, I want to start with just where Moses started, because Moses had a desire to be used by God. And you'll see how that comes now. Because he saw the problem, he started having a desire. When you see the problem in this world, if you're a Christian, if you love God, something in your heart says, God wants to do something about it. God doesn't like the way the world is now, and he wants to do something about it. I, I just want to pray for a moment. I, like, I don't know. I, it's just weirdly, I feel like there's resistance in some way. I don't know. It could just be me. So I just want to pray. Like, I feel like this message isn't heading the way that it's supposed to. Lord, this is not about me. It's not about my message, Lord. If this is your word, God, then I pray that you will penetrate hearts, Lord, and I pray that we would repent of our selfishness, Lord. I pray that we would repent if our lives are comfortable and we think that this is what it is and and everything is just about comfort and money and, and career and relationships, Lord, but you are not above every other thing, Lord. We repent, God. Lord, I pray that you would cut hearts right now, Lord. I pray for a softness to come into all of our hearts, Lord. Just bring your heart before God for a moment. Like if there's something of a resistance now, I don't don't know what I'm experiencing. I'm just feeling like I'd love this message to cut a bit deeper. Not because it's my word. I'm reading from the Bible. I'm reading from the word of God. But I'm just feeling like there's, there's some resistance here. And I, I just want us to be a people who are open and actually excited about the move, a move of God. And I feel like there's, oh man, maybe we've, we've slid too far. And we don't even get excited about a life lived for God because we have no clue what it is and what it means. So God, I just pray even through this message that you would open up our eyes, Lord, to the beauty of being used by you, Lord. I pray that you would change our hearts, Lord, not by a message, but that you would give us a passion for your name, Lord a passion for your kingdom, Lord, a passion to be used by you, Lord, a passion to say, I will not sit still and live my few years on this earth for nothing, but I want to do something for God. Lord, come and cut deep into our hearts this afternoon. So I'm going to go back to Moses, and again, we're going to go through the I can, I can't, and God can, and this is the first thing. He saw the problem and he thought that he could, so just say it with me, I can. This is where he started. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Come, just stop here for a moment. I I feel like this thing must get into us. When you look around Stellenbosch, you look around the people around you, and you see the people of God in captivity, living lives not switched on for God, nominal Christianity. Is your heart hurting or not? If your heart is not hurting, if you don't look at the world around you and something of your heart is aching, then you don't have the heart of God yet in that area. And your first prayer should be, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. That's what happened to him here. Like, we can't be those, we, listen to me, we are not, oh, like, there's something burning in my heart today, like, really. We are not to be those people that just look like the world, that sit in a job, sit in university, sit at our faculties, and everything just feels normal. You should feel out of place. It should feel like there's a problem. When people are enjoying their lives and going for it, you should feel like these people's eyes are not open. If we don't feel that, our first prayer should be, God, open my eyes to the problem there is in this world. And so he saw that. He looked around and he saw the people of God are not supposed to be in captivity. They are supposed to serve God fully. He saw the problem. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So what did he do? There's a million people that God wants to free. What does he do? He goes and kills one of them. (laughs) Like, the big eye-opener for me here is like, dude, you don't know how big the problem is. (laughs) Like, Moses, if you want to go and you want to eradicate the problem, and the first thing you do is you take it in your own hands and you go and kill an Egyptian, you have no clue what it's going to take to to get a million people free. Are you with me? <laughs> like killing one person is not going to do it. So there was something in him. There was a no, listen to me, there was a noble cause in him. He was noble, like he saw the trouble of the people and he wanted to be like, I'll do something about it. And then he did it in his own power, not realizing how stupid that actually was. How many of us do that? We see valid problems. We see a need for God. We see people being taken captive and we think, I'm going to do it. Like, you don't, you have no clue how big the problem really is. You have no, no clue what it means if someone is really taken captive. It is impossible to do it in your own strength. Moses could not, we'll look at this, but he could not do it in his own strength. He thought that he could. And so what is that in our day? Like, I, I wrote down a few examples of how we can do things in our own strength. See a problem, and here's one. Many of us see poverty, and we think, ah, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help alleviate poverty, you have no clue what the real problem actually is. You don't know how deep that problem of poverty really works, and and you starting an NGO or getting money together and, and all of those things. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm gonna I'm gonna qualify this in a moment. You don't know that that is actually it's 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 not helping for eternity. Actually, it's I'm I, I'm gonna qualify this in a moment. But it's not. You, you don't know how big the problem really is. <laughs> you don't know. Some of us, we think things like, oh, I see the problem, like I see there are churches and people who need, who need finances, so I'm going to go and I'm going to find a job and I'm going to make lots of money and give that to the church. You don't know what people's problem really is. And that's not a bad thing. Giving to the church is not a bad thing. Giving to people is not a bad thing, but man, you are not going to really sort out their problems by doing that. I'll explain in a minute. Some of us look at the agendas of the world around us, the sexuality agendas and and we bombarded by these things and think, I'm going to be the one to make a difference. And listen, I'm, I'm semi-guilty of this because I enjoy these guys. But then we go watch Ben Shapiro and we mass- watch Matt Walsh and we look at Jordan Peterson and we get all the arguments. And we think, now whenever someone comes, I'm going to argue them into the right place. You don't know how deep the problem really is. Your argument is going to do nothing. Even if you convince them intellectually, it's going to do nothing. Some of you think, well, I see the church. I see 4 p.m. I see there's a need for leaders. I'm going to be an elder or a deacon or a home group leader or a worship leader. Listen, <laughs> it's not how it works. If you try and do it in your own strength, that's not how it works. You're not going to sort out the real problem. You don't know what the real problem really is. Some of us think, man, I see it, and I'm going I'm to have an exemplary family, good children, that listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying that. It's really difficult. <laughs> but, but you don't know how deep, deep the problem really is. Some of you see that there's a need for visitors, and you're going to be like, cool, are, are these visitors coming on Sundays? I'm trusting for more visitors to come, and we encourage you, actually, since we moved here, I'm trusting for, for more life to come into this, this 4 p.m. group. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, but we see, like there's that and I'm going to be the one that welcomes visitors. Great. You're seeing the problem, but it goes a bit deeper. I'll explain now. Some of you see the problems of people around you in the church or friends, and you think, I'm going to sit with them, I'm going to counsel them, I'm going to pastor them. You don't know how the deep the problem really is, and that you actually can't help them. You can't help them. There's a funny story that I'll tell quickly, but um, years ago, I started seeing, like it's like God opened my eyes to the fact that a healthy church is so important and that we need it. I was still a student in Wellington, and one of the guys in the church had this vision to start a congregation in Wellington with the students. We wanted to call it Campus CAC, And so it was going to be a, a PM congregation there. And I had latched onto the idea. I was like, yeah, we're going to do it. This is going to be great. And so what we did is we made a core team and we started working at it. We did something. We, we ripped DVDs. I don't know if you know what a DVD is, eh? <laughs> do some, of you, some of you might not know. A DVD is this circular thing... <laughs> It looks like something in the old days we called a CD. It looks basically the same, but you could put video on it, okay? That's what a DVD is. We ripped this DVD with a video of like, come to campus, cartoon. this is amazing, this is going to change your life. We did this whole video skit funny thing, and we handed it out to people to go and watch this DVD at home. And... <laughs> And then on the first Sunday, we had a band ready, we had a welcoming team ready, we had these very cool posters and designs ready all over the world, and we were so excited and the first Sunday, two people pitched up. And now you're waiting for this. The second Sunday, zero people pitched up. Third Sunday, zero people. Fourth Sunday, zero people, and then we canned it. <laughs> we canned it because you know what? We, we saw the problem. The problem was real. God wanted to reach into CPUT in Wellington. The solution, we tried to do it in our own strength. We just did not actually know what we were doing. We tried to say, we can do it. And we do that in our lives, man. We, we see the problem. We think, I'm going to do something about it. But what, what God wants to do is he wants to take you from the I can to the second one is? I can't. So let's say, I can. I, can. I, can't. I can't. That's the second one. God wants to bring you to a place of realizing you can't do it. And that is sucky. You know how it works? You try and you fail. (laughs) You think you're going to sit and have a coffee with someone and that's going to be the end to their problems. (laughs) And then you realize that doesn't work. Anyone ever been there? Huh? I've been there. It's like you have a coffee, you tell someone the same thing over and over again, and a few months later, they said, oh, God spoke to me and he told me this. And I'm like, you rascal, I told you that 10 times. (laughs) It's like we've been there, like, God will take you to a place of realizing that you're going to try, you're going to try and do things in your own strength, I'm going to be an elder, Er, I'm going to elder so hard now, Er, whatever eldering is, like, er, er, I'm going to do it, and then you're like, no one sees you, and they're not making me an elder, and in this church I get offended, because they obviously don't know the gift that there is in me, like, or a deacon, or a worship leader, or whatever, like, I'm going to do it, but then you realize, it's like, God is, God is putting a ceiling on you, not people, like, he wants you to realize it cannot be in your own strength. If he allows you to do it in your own strength, you're going to make a failure of it. Let's see what he did with uh, Moses. But Moses said to the Lord, Exodus 14, verse 10 to 12, Oh, my Lord, I am not... This is where Moses got to. Firstly, he's going to do it. Then he gets chased out of Egypt. And now he comes to a place of working for his father-in-law for a couple of years. That's what God used to humble him. So be careful. God might let you go work for your father-in-law one day. <laughs> God humbles him like he has to look after another man's sheep. And and then he realizes, well, I can't do. All those people are there. I'm just like a shepherd. I'm just looking after my father-in-law's sheep. And then the Lord appears to him and the Lord says, but I want to call you. I want to call you. And he says, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf? Or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you will speak. Before God commissioned him, he first needed him to come to a place of humility, actually. It's actually interesting. He took off his shoes when he came to God's presence, which is a sign that that ground is not yours, it's someone else's. It was a sign of humility. God needed Moses to come to a place of humility, of realizing this problem is bigger than me. People's problems, I can't sort it out. actually. The church's problems, I can't sort it, sort it out. Jesus is the head of his church. He is the one that works in people's lives. If you can't get to that place and you cannot be humbled, God will, that's why it's a dangerous prayer to pray, because God will humble you. He will bring you to a place of frustration. I'll tell you a quick testimony. Not actually a testimony, but like for me, when I started preaching, I, I had this I can, I can't thing. Like, I used to sit where you guys are sitting now, and I'd see people preaching, and I would think, oh, I can do that so much better. (laughs) And I think some of you are sitting there, and you think the same, and maybe you can, but let me just tell you a secret. It's much different sitting there than standing here. It's like a totally different thing. And then I started preaching, and I realized my preaching is having no effect on people. I started realizing I can be eloquent in words, and I can can make stupid jokes, and all of those things, like... I, I thought I could change people's lives, I thought I can pull, pull people forward, but I just realized just how empty it is when it's just my words, and I, I, I felt stuck, actually, in my preaching, because God wanted to bring me to a place of realizing I can't. I actually had the, the great Will Murray, who was one of the main leaders in Josh Cheney, he came and he listened to one of my sermons, and then afterwards, he, he gave critique to one of the guys. He didn't speak to me directly, I just heard it via via. He said, hmm, yes, I was not impressed, eh? <laughs> Like, and that breaks you. It's like, whoa, that, that just breaks you. And I, I needed to come to a place of, um, of realizing that, that I can't. But then God does not stop there. God takes us, when we come to a place of humility, He says, okay, but now, now that you realize that you can't, I'm going to show you that I can. I can. It can't stop with the I can't. Many of us, I think, get stuck there. We try to do something for the Lord. We fail and we think, well, someone else is going to have to do something for God. God does not want you to stop there. He needs you to come to the ultimate realization that although you can't, He can. That's where He wants you to come. And so let's just say that together. So firstly, I can. I, can. I can't. I can. God, can. God can. So what God did then is then He commissioned Moses to do it. And He said, well, now I'm going I'm to let you do it because God is not just... When, when I say God can, it doesn't mean that you just sit still, fold your arms, and God is going to do all the work. God says that when you come through a place of humility and you give yourselves, I will work through you. It's a co-working. It's not only you doing it. Now it's a co-working, doing it together. God wants us to bring to that, that place. And so God then gives Moses the power of God. And he sends these plagues into Egypt because there's a million people. There's not just one. The problem is massive. It needs the power of God for breakthrough. And he sends these plagues. And it's interesting. If you go read up, many theologians believe The plagues that were sent into Egypt was God making a mockery of the Egyptian gods. It was all the gods that they, because they've got a a, a, a plethora of different gods that they serve. And all of their gods, when God went and he he, he sent in the frogs, for instance, they worshiped the god of the frog. It was one of their things. And so God wanted to show the Egyptians the world, I am bigger, and he did it through this man called Moses. And he kept doing that, and it culminates in the final plague that was the clincher for the people of God to be set free. And I want to zoom into that because if we ever want to come to a place of realizing what it is to, to know that only God can do it, we need to understand the final plague. Because the final plague is a prophetic message about Jesus. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain that to you now. Exodus 12 verse 5, 7 and 12 to 13. So what God does is he, he flips it around and he says, if you don't do what I'm about to tell you to do, in Egypt or in with my people, then the firstborn of your household is going to die. And so this is the clincher. This is where Pharaoh, picture of the devil says, okay, I give up. Your people can go and they can be set free, All right, This is the clincher. This is what God does. He says to them, take a lamb. Your lamb, listen, who is, who is, who is Jesus in the Bible? He is the lamb of God. He's the lamb of God. It's a prophetic message. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Jesus was the perfect lamb. A male, a year old. It's actually later, sorry, I don't think it's in here, but it says, when you slaughter this lamb, sacrifice this lamb, you shall not break any of its bones. When Jesus hung on the cross, normally when you are there and you're about to die and it's sunset and the people wanna go home, they break your legs on the cross so that you can't pick your body up so that you will suffocate under the pressure of not being able to keep your legs up. With Jesus, they did not do that. For some reason, they took a spear and they they, they put the spear into his side. They did not break a single of his bones. It's a prophetic message about Jesus, this. Then you shall take some of the blood of this lamb and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, when this blood of the lamb covers you, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. What happened here, they called the Passover. Death passed them over if the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost of your house. And from there, for thousands of years... The, the Jews still to this day, they celebrate the Passover feast once a year, celebrating what God did there. God commanded them, make this a feast that you celebrate. When Jesus came to earth, the day he was crucified was on the Passover feast. J- Hello. <laughs> That's amazing. This was a prophetic message about Jesus. The Jews can't see it. The, the Bible says they are blind to this. There's a prophetic message about Jesus all those years ago, the blood of the lamb, and then on this day where they celebrate, this same day, 2,000 and something years later, more, 4,000 years later, the same day, three, 4,000 years later, the same day that they celebrate this, the lamb of God gets crucified. He takes the sin of the world upon his shoulders, and if we would humble ourselves and ask the Lord to put the blood of the lamb upon us, then death will pass us over. We will not die. That is the final plague. That is the last thing Jesus does, God does, so that his people will be set free. I can. How does God set his people free? Through the power of Jesus. Through the power of Jesus, through the prophetic proclamation of Jesus dying on the cross. That is true freedom. That is how God works. Jesus on the cross is not just something that you accept once when you get saved and then you forget about it and you move on to more mature things. The cross permeates throughout your Christianity. When you struggle to pray, you need to look to the cross. When you struggle with sin, you look to the cross. When you struggle to love, you look to the cross. Everything culminates in the cross of Christ. It is not just the beginning. It is the end of our Christianity as well. It permeates through everything. It's not like you move on. That sacrifice on the cross that cleanses you, that is the way I come to God, whether I've been saved for 60 years or 60 days, I still come to God through the, 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 the sacrifice of the cross. And so what we need to learn is, if we want to see the power of God, it needs to be by taking people to Jesus and not us trying to do it in our own strength, because that's how they were set free. If you want any effectivity, you need to come to a place of surrender and saying, Lord, I can't do it, but you can. When I preach, it's not about me. If you don't speak, it doesn't help that I speak. If I have coffee with someone, if you don't speak, it doesn't help that I speak. If I can't take them to Jesus and you be the one that brings breakthrough, it doesn't help that I'm trying anything. Am I making sense here? He is the only one that can actually do anything. So when it comes to poverty, I mentioned a couple of things. The correct way in light of this would be spiritual poverty is much more dangerous than physical poverty. If people do not know Jesus, no solution will ever be enough for them. And so do we give people food? Yes, I give them food in order to share the gospel with them. That's honestly my take. Like I'm not against giving food. I'm not against alleviating poverty in the world. I think it's a good thing. But we hop on this bandwagon, this social gospel bandwagon where I'm going to go do good in the world. Listen, that is not going to do anything. You're going to send people to hell with a full tummy. That's what it is. Unless the gospel comes and Jesus comes in, poor people cannot be set free. If not set free spiritually on the inside. Our finances... I actually think tithing is a way of faith. It's an act of faith of saying, Lord, actually, I can't do anything financially for you. I'll just be obedient when you speak, and I will tithe, even though it doesn't make sense. I will give. I think that is the way that that we actually express faith. That's how I change something, by saying, Lord, this is a a way for me to say that I can't do anything with my money. My money, firstly, it belongs to you, so I'll give a tenth of it to you, as an expression to myself that actually I can't do anything. When you try and argue with people about social issues and sexuality and LGBTQ issues and all of those things, you know what, you can change their minds unless Jesus changes their hearts. nothing is going to change. So the solution for them is not a change of thinking, it is a change of heart firstly, primarily. It is leading someone to a place of Jesus. You can argue till you are blue in the face, unless you realize, I cannot do it, but God can and God will take you there. I spoke about the church. If you can't come to a place to know that I want to tell you a quick testimony and then I'm going to end, if you can't come to a place of realizing that actually it is God that leads this church and I will submit under God because He is the one that will bring to fruition what He wants to, I can't do it. Then what you will do is you will be the least. I'm not saying you don't have to have a desire for eldership or deaconship or any of those things, but you will come low and serve and give yourself and allow God to raise you up and no human being that's what you will do. You will bring your life before him and allow him to come and cleanse it and make you into the leader that you need to be. That's what you'll do. I want to share personal testimony. It's this weird thing that like sometimes in my life I've preached and it's ministered to me while I'm preaching. I didn't plan it that way, but it ministered to me. So I'm telling you a testimony that still needs to be tested. It's only a week old when I preached this last week. And I'm, I'm a bit scared of sharing this. I shared it with Carla in the car only because some things like I'm so scared to say it because it's still a testimony in working, right? I don't know if that makes sense. Still something happening. So I've told some of you that, um, that, that since we had our, our twins, um, I, I've really struggled with anxiety. And it's a weird form of anxiety where I, I can't tell you that I'm anxious, but my body reacts to small things. You guys won't notice it, but with some of you, if I stand and have a conversation with you... I, it's like I've got this small cough that I do the whole time. I, <laughs> I do that, and I can't help it. I'm just having a normal conversation. It should not stress me out. It's a normal conversation, not even speaking about church or anything, but, but my breathing just changes. And sometimes at night when Carla and I would go sit down just to have supper or watch something, then my breathing, would, I would start doing that again. So it was, it's such an irritating thing for me because I, it's like my, my chest, actually sometimes would hurt from this thing. And I can't even tell you why I'm anxious. I'm just anxious. And I have brought it to the Lord and all of those things. But, but I realized this is a testimony in working. I'm, I'm telling you now. Okay, so this is me being really vulnerable as, as the lead elder here, just being really vulnerable. So I tried to give it to the Lord. And, um, and I, I really did. When I went through my discipline process and all of those things, I gave it to the Lord. And eventually, I phoned Liz East, who works for Josh. And I'm like, I, just, I, can't, I can't get a grip on this thing. It's like, it's so irritating. I'm so frustrated. I think I need to go and see a psychiatrist. Went to a psychiatrist. He prescribed medication for me. It works on and off, but mostly it doesn't work, to be honest. But now and then it works. So I'm like, I, I went through this wrestle, like, what should I do? Obviously, I want to come off of it at some stage, but I just, I, I feel like I need the help. But it's, it hasn't been working. My poor wife, she doesn't, she hates it when someone sniffs around her. Sorry, if you sniff around her, but like she, she can hear it from a mile away. And so if I do the breathing thing, she hears it from a mile away. She is so irritated, right? She's like, Lena, just get out, do something. I'm like, I've tried everything. I can't sleep better now. Our girls are struggling to sleep again. Like, I can't, where do I get time to exercise? It's always so busy. We've got three children now. I I don't know what to do. I'm, Like, in my own strength, I can't do it. And I've I've sought an excuse there. And then last Sunday, 4 p.m., Dan preaches, and he preaches about bringing things into the light and about the fundamentals of the faith, which is prayer and worship and Bible reading. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm not doing as well there as I can. And I just realized it was like, oh, moment. I stopped fighting for this spiritually. I stopped bringing it before the Lord. My solution was I need to exercise. I need to sleep better. I need to talk to people. But I've lost the faith spiritually knowing Jesus and by his blood and he paid on the cross for this thing. I can conquer this. I realized that while he was preaching last week. The elders also learned something at church, right? We always do. Like, God keeps working. And then 6 p.m. I go and I preach this message. And as I'm preaching it, I get a revelation. But Leonard, you're not living this. (laughs) Like, you're not living this. You're preaching this now. But you have forgotten that God can come and conquer this thing. Since Sunday until now, my, my worst anxiety, I'm going to be so dead honest with you guys. I'm like a little bit shy of saying this. My worst, honest, my worst anxiety for the last two and a half years is when we worship. For some reason, my anxiety peaks through the roof. I struggle with my breathing. It's, it sucks. I hate it. And when I come to church, because I felt this big burden for 4 p.m. specifically, and I'm trusting that I can plow myself in here more, but I've just... Oh, it's been like so difficult for me. I haven't known. What do I do? I'm running from year to six, and I've just been so busy, and things have been so difficult for me, and I've just been struggling with things, this anxiety. Since last week, I just thought I, I need to start fighting this spiritually again, and I started bringing it before the Lord, started praying about it. One morning this week, I'm praying, and the scripture pops up in my head that where, where Paul says, one sows, one waters, but God brings the increase, and it's like a weight fell off of me for the church. And I realized I've been trying to bring the increase. I've been trying to, in my own strength, work so hard to make 4 p.m. into a flourishing congregation while I'm running my head off with 6 p.m. and trying to put out fires, and it's been so difficult. But I've realized I've taken the burden, God's burden, on me, actually. Jesus is the one building His church, and I've taken it on me. And, yeah... And I repented, and, like, I'm actually, like, it's a, it's a, like, it's a fresh testimony, so I don't want to, like, it's been two and a half years of, like, such frustration. I don't want to, but for the last week, I haven't struggled with my breathing one bit in the last two and a half years. I, yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I even watched the rugby without struggling with my breathing, <laughs> I couldn't, that was, <laughs> that was a miracle. Carla doesn't want to watch the rugby with me anymore. Like, it's like, please just go sit somewhere else. I can't take it. So, so like, I don't know what's happened. I'm trusting that this will stay. Like I'm going to have to, I'd, maybe like, I'd, but I'd like, I just feel like maybe it's a fresh testimony for me. Maybe like I've come to a place again in my life because we need to come with this in all of our areas of our lives. Like I can, I can't, but God can. Like, I need to bring it before the cross of Christ. Let's let's stand. Let's stand. Um so just just as we end, I think I'd like to just ask us to respond. But now I don't know if you guys can maybe come forward. I don't know if there's a song that can help us here, but just as we respond, I think what I think where most of us are probably stuck is Some of us are still in the I can phase, and that's actually pride, and you may be frustrated because you're trying to do things for God, and you're just frustrated in your faith and in your calling. That's maybe you haven't moved from the I can to the I can't yet, and I'd love to pray for you, and we are going to take a moment now and actually say, pray that dangerous prayer, those of you who want to, and just pray, Lord, use me, and He's going to do this in you. But I want to pray specifically for those who are still stuck there. And then I want to pray for, for those of you who have gotten stuck in the I can't. Because that seems noble. It seems noble. Oh, I've just, I've given up. I can't do it. Yes, but you need to realize that God can. It's not noble. That's false humility. Some of you have pulled back in church, pulled back in trying to help people because you realize, well, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. No, you're right. You're not good enough. But God is. And so I want to pray for those two groups of people. So maybe just for a moment, if you are in one of those groups, can I ask you to raise your hand? I just want to, I just want to pray. Not to me. Let's extend our hands to the Lord in like open, closed, whatever. Just an extension of like, Lord, this is me. This is me. I'm just going to pray for us for a moment. And then maybe I want to lead us together in a prayer of like, God, use me for those of you who want to be bold enough to pray. It. But if you've got your hands up, let me pray for us. God, I want to pray for these two groups of people, Lord. Those who specifically say that that they can, Lord, where pride has crept in, Lord, where some people are striving to do things for you, striving in the church, striving in their families, striving in their personal lives, Lord, but they need to come to a place of realizing that they can't do it, Lord. I pray that you would forgive them, Lord, of pride in their lives. All of us, if there's an area, one single area that we are trying to do it, Lord, open our eyes to the fact that the problem is much bigger than we think. The problem is much bigger than we think. And I pray that we would come to a place of giving up, laying it down, saying, I can't do this. I can't do this, Lord. I pray that you would bring us to that place, Lord. And then I want to pray for those of us who who have just resigned our fate, Lord, and said, well, I can't do it. I can't do it, but who are not effective for the Lord, who are not grabbing hold of the power of the cross and saying, Lord, won't you, won't you work this power into my life into the people around me? If, if we haven't come to the place of bringing people to the cross, showing them to Jesus, because we've become passive in our faith. Lord, I pray that you would break passivity right now in the name of Jesus, Lord. Break a passive attitude, Lord. I feel like it's a stronghold over this group, Lord. Passivity, Lord. I pray that you would break passivity and that people would say, my God can, and so I want to work with my God to do it, Lord. Break passivity, Lord. I pray for something of a roar to come into this congregation, not because of us, but because of our big God, Lord. Because we serve a mighty God who can do it, Lord. You can reach people, Lord. You can bring salvation, Lord. You can bring freedom. You can set the captives free. You can do these things, Lord, not us. I pray for a people with open eyes to see a big God who can do these things, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us where we've tried to do it in our own strength, and forgive us for giving up, Lord. Forgive us for giving up. Give us a revelation of your power and how much you love people and how much you want to reach into South Africa, into Stellenbosch, into our families, into all these areas. Lord, come and open up our eyes, Lord. We pray for your forgiveness, God. Pray for your forgiveness. You can put down your hands if you want. I'm going to pray that prayer for us in a moment. Those of you who want to pray a dangerous prayer today to say, God, use me. Just in a moment. But can I ask us just to close our eyes? Every week I want to give this opportunity, and that's why I want to encourage you to bring your friends, bring unsafe friends. I'm going to always make this opportunity available. It's a commitment I really want to make, that every week we make it possible for people who don't know Jesus to get to know Him. And if you are here tonight and you do not know Jesus, you do not know Jesus, maybe something just hit your heart tonight and you realized this God that Leonard is speaking about, I know church and I know I know Christianity, but I don't know if I know God personally. I don't know if he's working in my life. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm going to heaven, then I'd like to give you an opportunity to just make right with him. You're not going to come forward. It's not going to be embarrassing. All the eyes are closed, please. But if that's you, if you want to say, God, please, I need salvation tonight. I need you to come and give me eternal life. I want to repent of my old life and turn to you. If that's you, wherever you're standing, can I ask you to raise your hand? No one's looking around there's anyone like that can he give you a last opportunity if there's anyone like that so just before i pray that prayer i want to challenge you if we believe that god can then we better be his hands and feet and bring people here and reach out to people i don't want this to be a place where people don't get saved i want to be this a place where we see the power of god no one's raised there now which is fine okay it won't happen every week but actually i want it to happen every week because we serve a big god and i want to encourage you come don't step back we're not parking off here 4 p.m is not to come and park off it's not to come in there just chill be mellow 6 p.m is too rowdy for you come to 4 p.m it's nice and chill <laughs> like that's not it that's no, not the right place for you then <laughs> now we want to see the power of god at work I wanna encourage you, start start bringing people, bring friends, let's see the power of God at work even here amongst us. See deliverance, salvation, let's see those things. So if you wanna pray that dangerous prayer tonight, God use me, can I ask you to raise your hand? Just and then, and then I'm gonna ask you as you raise your hand, if you wanna pray this, this is a bold prayer. It's like God is gonna take you through a few things, it's not nice, he's gonna humble you, but it's gonna be worth it. If you wanna pray that, then just pray after me, God, I'm so sorry for doing things in my own strength, for thinking that I can sort out problems, that I can be something, that I can do something for you, but not in your strength. Father, I pray that you would show me how small I am, how big you are Lord I pray that you would help me to rely on you to know the power of the cross to know the power of Jesus that is working I pray that you will use me use me Lord use me Lord use me Lord Lord. Use me in my own life, (laughs) use me in my family, use me amongst my friends, use me in the church, use me when I study, use me when I work, use me in Stellenbosch, use me in South Africa, use me wherever you want to use me. My life is yours, I've been bought with the price. And you love this world. I want to be your hands and feet. Amen. Amen. Let's just give God a round of applause because he is big. Can we respond with a song? Is there something? Can respond? Yeah. Let's go. Just respond in a song.